blood of Jesus that washed away my sin. Uh, thankful for that. You all can be seated uh, as we song for you this morning. Again, another incredibly beautiful song about the cross. Uh, so this, the lyrics will be on the screens, but we'll do the power of the cross.
sombering and humbling to think about what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it is amazing, and, and we should never cease to praise His glorious name for what He's done for us on the cross. Uh, let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship uh, before we get to the sermon.
All right, the music was beautiful this morning. I really enjoyed that, especially that last song. That was as pretty a song as you can sing, and, and uh, I thought it was wonderful. I love that our singing just keeps getting better and better. It makes me up my game, because if the singings will get better and better, then the preaching better get better and better and better. So uh, let's, let's, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 26, and I think we've got a great passage for you today. Uh, it is one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible. This is Jesus here today on his way to the cross, the next step. And he's standing before the highest court in the land. Uh, the, the religious figures, the Sanhedrin, all these big religious figures are standing there. And they're going to make a decision on Jesus in this moment. A verdict is going to be made as Jesus stands trial. And they're going to have to answer the question, is Jesus who he says he is or is he not? And that's a decision that every single one of us is going to have to make. You're going to have to decide for yourself, and we're going to do that today, whether Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Christ, or is he not? So a verdict has to be made here by these men, and a verdict has to be made today by you sitting in the pews. And it's not just you, I think everybody in the world has to come to a decision, a verdict, on who is Jesus Christ. So here today, we're going to look at Jesus on trial. So let's stand together. I'm going to read to you verses 57 to 68. We're going to have Jesus on trial. Verse 57. It says, And, and they that had laid hold on Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where there was the scribes and the elders were assembled. And Peter followed afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God, and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto, the, unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, he tore his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard this blasphemy. So what think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then they spit in his face, and they buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? They made their decision. And now today you have to make your decision. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus is on trial in this passage and Jesus stands on trial before you today. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's pray together and we'll study this, this passage. Father, we thank you for these passages. And every week it seems like it's getting harder and harder. Heavier and heavier. As we walk our way step by step to the cross. But God, I am so thankful that you stood before this trial. Here before these earthly men. So that we who put our faith in you will not have to stand trial before a heavenly trial one day. So God, I pray that I, you would help me teach these things today. Help me to show them who you are. So that they can make a, a decision based on the evidence of who your son is. Help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, minds that can comprehend, and a heart that will receive these words. And not just these words, but your son today. 
Please help me to to show them your son Jesus today in all of his glory. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know the last thing that any of us would ever want to to get in the mail is a jury duty notice. Nobody, I've never gotten one, I hope I never do, maybe some of you have and you've served in that capacity in some way, but I've never talked to anybody who said, guess what, I've had the best day ever, i got a jury duty notice today, and I get to go and be on, on, on a jury and make a decision on somebody or some crime or something that's happened. Most of us do not want to be on a jury duty. We don't want to be a, a jury. We don't want to make that decision, but here today I'm calling you. If you never have, here you are today. You will be called to be a jury. You're going to be called to make a decision today. Jesus, in this passage, stands before you, and really before the entire world, before the court of public opinion, the court of all humanity, and everybody here will have to make a decision on who you say Jesus is. You have to make that decision. You can't put it to the side. You can't opt out. You have to make a decision, everybody in here, I don't care if you're a man, a woman, or a child. You all, by the time this sermon is over, will make a decision on who you say Jesus is. Same question that Jesus asked Peter. I think it's Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Peter said, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that, and he gave all this list of people. He said, but who do you say? That's that's a decision. Who do you say? Sitting in the pew today that Jesus is. And there's many people that will say many different things about Jesus. There's a lot of opinions in the world today, maybe even in here, about who Jesus is. Some will call him a religious leader. Some will call him a a good moral example. Some even call him a, a phenomenal teacher. Those are all nice and good things, but that's not an option on the table. It's not an option on the table because Jesus didn't give you that as an option. Jesus said He is God. And he said things like he was the creator of the universe and he made everything that's in existence. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said that he was alive eternally. Jesus said he was the final judge of everyone. Jesus said he will reign forever and ever. So Jesus being a religious leader, a moral example, and a good teacher is not an option. C.S. Lewis said you have three options. He said Jesus, because he made the statement that he's God, is either one, a lunatic. He, he, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. You wouldn't listen to anybody who said he was God. So he's either a lunatic, he's a liar, and the worst liar of all time. Or he is exactly who he said he is. He is Lord of all creation. There's your options. So I'm giving you your options at the outset. You have three options. Jesus is a a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord, and everybody in here must bow the knee to him today. That's the only options that you have. None of these nice things that the world says about him. Oh, he's 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 a good moral teacher. He's a he's an example. He's he's a, a good guy. None of those things. He's either Lord or he's not. There's your options. And we all have to decide. You have to look at the evidence and make the final verdict. Is he God or isn't he? And that's the same decision that they're making here on this trial. It says in verse 57 that Jesus has been arrested. They've laid hold of him. His hands are bound. He's alone. He's on his way uh, to the trial, bound like a sheep before the slaughter. John Calvin said he was bound so that our souls could be loosed. It says there that Jesus and they laid hold on him. 
and led him to trial. This is the first of six trials that he's going to have by the time morning comes around. This is somewhere in the middle of the night. He's going to have three religious trials. He'll go before Annas and Caiaphas and then Caiaphas again. And then he'll have three civil trials before Rome. Pilate, Herod, and Pilate. So Jesus is going to be under trial in both, by, by both the religious authorities and the, the civil authorities. This represents the entire world is going to make a decision on Jesus in this moment. Here in verse 57, it says you have Caiaphas, the high priest. You have the scribes and you have the elders. It says down in verse 59, you have the chief priests and the elders and, and the entire council, which makes up of 71 total people who are standing trial or, or Jesus standing trial under. These are the most powerful men of the day. This would be the equivalence of our Senate and our Supreme Court making a decision on one man. This is the highest court in Israel, the Supreme Court of Israel. And they're all going to look at the evidence and they're going to make a decision on who is Jesus. Is He who He said He was or is He not? The verdict here for them and the verdict here for us has massive eternal consequence. Your eternity is... Weighing in the balance. Will you go to heaven or hell? And it's all determined by the decision you make here today on who Jesus is. So we're going to look at this. This is going to be a trial. I want you to look at three, three points, three parts of a trial, and I want you to come to a verdict at the end. So, hear ye, hear ye, court is now in order. Starting with number one, I want to show you the witnesses of the trial. It says in verse 59, now the chief priests and the elders and all the council, that's 71 men, highest court in the land. They've all gathered, they've all assembled, they've all come together. And why have they come together? In the middle of the night, it says in verse 59, these chief priests, the elders, the council, the high priest, anybody who's anybody in Israel have, have come together and they've come to, to seek out, sought, that's, that's to look for, that is to continually look for. This, this word here, it's a, it's a great word. It is to search high and low for. To search all over for. I mean, they're looking all over Israel for, what does it say? False witnesses. They're looking for liars. They're not looking for the truth. They're not trying to figure out, is he really who he said he is? They're not looking for people to say, yes, He is the Son of God. Yes, I can affirm that He is. That His words prove it and His works prove it. They're not going out looking for Lazarus. Bring me the dead man. He can say He's real. He can say He, he raises the dead. Bring, bring me blind Bartimaeus. He saw it all. <laughs> bring me the, the deaf and the dumb. Bring me the demon possessed who, who can say, I had legion and he, and he cast them all out. They could have found all kinds of real witnesses to tell the truth about Jesus, but they're not looking for the truth. They're looking for lies. Do you see that? They're searching out false witnesses against Jesus. This isn't new. I mean, Matthew 26, 4. I think we preached that about two months ago. It says, and they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill Him. You go back to Matthew 12. They've been trying to find out a way to kill Jesus for a long time. So here they're looking for false witnesses, liars, so that they can put Him to death, it says. So you see here, we, we're, at the start of the trial, this is what we've come to. Okay, We have the verdict is already in. He's guilty. 
The sentence is already decided. He's going to be put to death. The only thing they don't have is a crime. That's not how a court is to be run. You, you, you get the crime and then the verdict and then the sentence. They're doing this all backwards. He's already guilty. He already when he put to death. We've got to figure out a crime to convict him of. Let's find some liars. The only way to convict an innocent man? Liars. So they're looking for liars. They're not searching for the truth. They don't want answers. They're trying to find people who agree with them. Amen. I think we live in a world today that is not searching for truth. They're searching for people to agree with them. They're not searching for truth. They're searching for people to affirm what they already believe. People don't want the truth today. The truth is there. It's, it's right in front of them. There, there was witnesses all over Israel who would gladly speak up for Jesus. That's not what they're after. This is from the start, not a fair trial. They've planned it all. They paid Judas to, to turn him in. Now they're, they're, they're looking for false witnesses against him. This is the worst injustice in the history of the world. Why? Because this is the only innocent man in the history of the world. Let me, let me say this right now. They could bring any one of us before trial, anybody in the land, and they're going to find something we've done wrong. But here they bring Jesus, the only innocent man who ever lived, and they're doing everything in a way that is secretive, at night, in a house, and not in court. They're breaking all the rules trying to catch him in some crime. So watch what they do. Let's keep following. So that their search, watch what they do. I've circled this in verse 60. They're seeking, searching high and low. I mean, they're looking in every nook and cranny. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing background checks on him. They're, they're talking to people he knew when he was a kid. They're searching everywhere for anybody who can find something Jesus has done wrong. This is great. And look what it says in verse 60. They found none. And let's go again. They had many false witnesses come, yet they found none. You see what they're saying there? They, they found none. They didn't lack witnesses. They lacked Credible witnesses. They couldn't find anybody that would agree. They couldn't find, and the rule is you have to have two or three in order to convict. You couldn't just bring one, so you had one liar come in and he'd say one thing about Jesus. They couldn't find another liar to come in and, and agree with that liar. It's easier to agree on truth than it is on a lie. They couldn't find anybody to agree. Many false witnesses came. You see that? Many. They lined out the door. People coming in to lie about you. It's always easy to find somebody who will lie about you. Liars formed, sellouts, haters. They planned this. this, this just, they've been looking for people for, for years trying to catch Jesus. They've got people lined up in the court and, and they're standing up and they'll say, I'll say this about Jesus. Well, we need somebody else to agree. And they found none. Nobody to agree on, on anything about Jesus. All liars. All puppets of the devil who's a father of lies. None of them could even come up with a credible lie. And then it says at the end of verse 60, but they found none. I want to keep saying that, but they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came. Again, there's lines upon lines upon lines upon lines of people who are showing up to lie about Jesus and none of them agreed. They found none. And at the last, at the end, Finally, we got two guys to agree. <laughs> two guys show up and they say the same thing. They're, 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 they're going to lie about Jesus and here's what they say. Said this fellow said, 
I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And they're thinking, okay, I got, we got him now. We got two witnesses who's going to say this about Jesus. And they're bringing out something Jesus said three years ago. John chapter 2, Jesus said it. They're pulling it out of a file. They've had that stored back there. They, they've been stewing on that for three years. Hanging on to that. And, and they heard it three years ago. And they're thinking, I, I, I don't like that. I'm going to pull that out at the exact moment that I need it. And I will get him. But they misquoted Jesus. Look what it says. And I, I don't need you to turn to John 2. But it, we're, we're going to compare this. Because it said, I am able to destroy the temple of God. Jesus said, destroy the temple of God. He didn't say, I am able to destroy See, they're trying to make him out to be a terrorist who's going to destroy the temple. And Jesus didn't say that. He said, destroy the temple. Not, I will destroy the temple. That's two different, two different things. They're, they're misquoting him. They're, they're twisting it. And, and that, that's what the devil does. He takes something that, that God says and he twists it just a little bit. And it turns into something altogether different. I preached on this last Sunday night because that's exactly how the devil works in false teaching. He doesn't take something that's blatantly untrue. And throws it out there because everybody will know that's not right. He takes something just a, a, with a lot of truth in it and sprinkles a little bit of false inside of it. And he throws it out there to you and you're like, oh, that sounds about right. Most of us looking at that, and when I read it this week, I said, yeah, Jesus said that. <laughs> and I had to go back and look at what he actually said because there's just a little bit of twist, a little bit of turn, a little bit of altering. Same thing that the devil did with Eve in the garden. Did God really say? And there's just a little bit of altering, a little bit of, of twisting, and it turns into something completely different. So they're misquoting Jesus, and they're even misunderstanding Jesus, because Jesus explained it. He was talking about his own body. You destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. He's not talking about the temple. So you see how it works. They're, they're, they're lying. They're twisting. They're misquoting. They're misunderstanding. And in Mark 14 it says, get this, in Mark 14 it says, that even those two witnesses that they brought forward who were saying the same thing couldn't agree on what they were saying. This, this, this is amazing. I mean, it's untelling me hours they spent looking for somebody to catch Jesus in something, anywhere, I mean, high and low. And they couldn't find anything at all. They couldn't even find two witnesses to agree on one quote. You say, what does this teach us here? That the best of hell... Satan's best and brightest. The demons of hell were looking for something on Jesus and couldn't find a single thing. You think if there was something out there, they'd have found it? How about this? All of earth's leaders, do you think they had investigators? Do you think these, these 71 in the Sanhedrin didn't send out guys and say, you go talk to his mother, you go talk to his brothers, you go talk to the people next door, you go talk to the neighbors and see if he loved his neighbor as himself. Don't find anybody anywhere to find anything. Let me talk to a brother. Surely his brother's got something on him. You want to find something on me? Talk to one of my sisters. <laughs> Surely they got something on you. Don't talk to my sisters. <laughs> Do not. Do not. They'll tell you some things. You're like, I can't believe that's my pastor. He did that when he was 12. <laughs> You'll find something on me. If you dig hard enough, if you look close enough, if you investigate uh, 
deep enough, you'll find something on me. You'll find sin on me. And guess what? You guys are saying, wow, Josh has got skeletons in his closet. Who amongst us doesn't? You know who doesn't? Jesus. All of hell looked for something on Jesus. Desperate for even a good lie, and they couldn't find one. All of earth's leaders and all their investigators, even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Even Pilate's wife said, don't have nothing to do with him. Even the thieves on the cross said, this man is innocent. You know why they say that? Because there's nothing to find on Jesus. No skeletons, no dirt. Jesus is, and I want to say this, this is a a theological statement. I know there's not a whole lot of practical in this right now, but this is a, a great theological statement that Jesus is the only truly, entirely sinless man to ever live on the face of the earth. Everybody else who's ever lived is a sinner. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus is a sinless Savior. We need to know that. He's pure. He's innocent. He's righteous. The demons called Him the Holy One of Israel. We're sinful. He's sinless. We're unholy. He is the Holy One. Three decades of life. 33 years. Never entertained even a bad thought. Never uttered a bad word. A carpenter. How many times do carpenters hit their thumbs and say something they shouldn't say? Nobody said amen. (laughs) Jesus worked with hammers and nails and wood. Never a bad word come out of his mouth. The guys around the shop couldn't come up with anything Jesus said or anything Jesus did. He always honored his mother and father. He loved God with all of his heart. He loved his neighbor as himself. He was and he is an absolutely blameless man. It must be established here and now that they are completely checking him out in every way like a priest would check out a lamb to make sure it was spotless and without blemish. Here in these trials, they are making it clear before the whole world that there's not a spot or a blemish on the life of Jesus Christ. So there's your witnesses. They find nothing. Their case is falling apart fast. It's... it's, it's, there's nothing there. That's where we are at the witnesses. So now we move from the, the witnesses to the questioning. The, the high priest, it says in verse 62, he's had enough. <laughs> he not, they put all this together and it's all falling apart. Like a house of cards. It's just all tumbling down. Like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and had a great fall. This, this thing is, is falling apart. And the high priest says, I've had enough. I'll question Jesus. This isn't going well. So he speaks up and begins to interrogate Jesus with two questions. It's like Jesus takes the stand. The witnesses have come up, took the stand, nothing. Witness after witness after witness, and now they interrogate Jesus to set him before the council. And he gets two questions. Question number one. Look at it. The high priest arose and said unto him, Do you going to answer nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? So he's saying, you're not going to answer anything, Jesus? That's that's the first question. You're not going to say anything? You sit there and not say a word at all? You're not going to defend yourself? Don't you know how serious these charges are? What charges, you know? Don't you see 
Why aren't you saying anything? Jesus has sit there with a straight face the entire time as liar after liar after liar after liar said things about him and he didn't speak a word. So the high priest says, why won't you say something? Anything. Talk. It's in our nature to want to defend ourselves. Can you imagine if somebody was doing that to me and I was standing trial and liar after liar after liar was standing up there? In my nature, I'd say, that's not true. That's a lie. Jesus didn't open his mouth. Not a, a word. Look what it says. It says, are you going to say anything? Verse 63. But Jesus held his peace. It's a great statement. It's a silence of courage. He felt no need to defend himself. He let them incriminate themselves with their lies. The silence was deafening. The silence was maddening. As they lied and Jesus said nothing, it's as if they were saying, He's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. Under the law, Jesus didn't have to say anything. He had the right to remain silent. Under Scripture, Jesus... Had to remain silent because the Bible says like a sheep before the shears is dumb, he opens on his mouth. But let me show you something else here. That the silence of God is actually the judgment of God upon these people. Amos said the worst famine that a nation can have is a famine of the word of God. That when God no longer speaks, it's a judgment upon a people. And the silence of God here, the silence of Jesus here, is a Sign that God has given them over to their own sin and judgment. That Jesus is silent. And it scares me to death today that there's a silence of God in our nation. Yet there are men who will stand up and preach, but they're not opening the word of God and letting God speak. There's a famine in our land for the preaching of the word of God. It's a greater famine than anything that can happen politically or economically. It's a famine spiritually where the word of God is not being heard in our nation. And even in the places who do preach it and who do speak the truth, people aren't coming to listen to it. There's a famine in the land. There's all kinds of voices that are being heard today, whether it be on the news or social media or wherever it may be. But the voice that we need to hear is the voice of God coming from the word of God. There's a famine in the land and it's the judgment of God upon our nation. So Jesus sits there majestically calm. As they're crazy, as they're exploding, Jesus is as cool as the other side of the pillow. So Caiaphas, the high priest, gets even more mad. He gets even more worked up. And he goes to question number two. You see that in verse 63. Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said, Okay, here you go. You've got to hear the way he's saying this, the way, the way this is coming out. That he is mad, he's upset, he can't catch Jesus, so he says, okay, here we go. And it's man to man. He looks at him and he says, I adjure, adjure thee, I call upon thee by the living God. The highest oath that you could make was to swear by the living God. He's making Jesus put a hand to the Bible here. I adjure thee by the living God. Jesus is now under oath. I'm asking you, under the, the watchful eye of the living God, 
who hates liars and punishes lies. I ask you before God in heaven, you have to answer. Here's the question. Are you the Christ? The anointed one? The one that we have been looking for? The one that the Old Testament spoke of? The Son of God. Are you equal with? One with? The same as God? Big question. You've got to feel the drama here. You could cut the tension with a knife. This is more dramatic than anything you'd see on Judge Judy. You ever been watching Judge Judy? And it gets so dramatic. It's, it's coming to a point. And then they go on commercial. And you can't fast forward. This is more dramatic than any trial you see on TV. The question is on the table. And Jesus now gives an answer. And I don't think it's an answer. I think it's a confession. He stands here. You see, he says, are you before the living God, the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus says unto them, and this would be, Jesus confesses unto him. And it's not just to him. This is before the high priest. The whole council, the whole world is going to hear what Jesus has to say. We sitting here today will hear the words that comes out of Jesus' mouth. It's straightforward. It's decisive. I love it. It's bold. It's unwavering. It's to the point. There's no, Jesus doesn't mumble. Jesus doesn't stumble. Jesus doesn't whisper. Jesus tells it like it is. And out of his mouth is the first truth that they've heard in that entire assembly the whole, the whole night. Under oath, before the highest court of the land, Mark 14 says the first words out of his mouth is, I am. Ego am I, the name of God, Yahweh. He says here, you said it. <laughs> I like that. You got that right, buddy. You bet, how they get it this way. He's saying here, you better believe it. You got it. And he adds Daniel 7. He quotes scripture. Jesus is never caught off guard. He's always got scripture on the tip of his tongue. He says, you've said it. you got it, buddy. And nevertheless, it's a great word. I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on nevertheless. You, you, you. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon that I read this week called Nevertheless Hereafter. That was the title of the sermon. Just on those two words, nevertheless and hereafter. The word nevertheless is, it might not look like I am right now. You, you with me? It might look bad right now. Because Jesus is standing before the council and he has been sweating great drops of blood. So his, his, his whole clothes, his robe is, is covered in blood and sweat and, and, and he's had a, had a long night and, and he's not been eating and, and it's, it's, it's been a terrible week and Jesus looks, looks bad. He's probably at the weakest of his weakness. And he stands before the, the Sanhedrin and he says, You said it, buddy. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And nevertheless, it don't look like it right now. Right? I may not look like it here and now. I may look weak. I may be standing alone. I may be forsaken and bloody. I may be one lamb surrounded by a council of wolves. In this moment, I might not look like the Son of God. <laughs> but hereafter, the tables are turned. You see that? I love this version. Nevertheless, hereafter. 
Right now, it don't look good. That's that's all of our lives. Those two words. Nevertheless, right now, it don't look great. But hereafter, it'll be great. The tables will turn. You can, do, you can apply that to your own life right now. If you're a, a Christian, it, it may look bad right now. I may be sick right now. Nevertheless, I may be weakly right now. It may look terrible right now. But hereafter, it's going to get better. America, nevertheless, it looks bad right now. But hereafter, we have no idea what God's going to do with it. Nevertheless, hereafter, he's saying, I look bad now. But hereafter, look what he says, the table's going to turn. He looks ahead. He looks after the cross. And he says, the next time you see me, the Son of Man will be sitting on the right hand of power and coming in clouds of glory. That's what you're going to see me. He's talking about the ascension when he will resurrect from the dead and go into heaven and be seated at the right hand of power beside of the Father. He's going to return. And when he returns, there'll be another court. And there'll be another day. There'll be another trial. And at that trial, the roles will be reversed. And it won't be Caiaphas standing in judge over Jesus. Get this. Today we stand in judgment as we decide and give a verdict on who we say Jesus is. But one day those tables will turn and Jesus will judge us. Caiaphas will stand before Jesus. That's what he's saying. Can you imagine Caiaphas' face when he says that? I don't look at now, but Caiaphas, one day it'll turn, and one day these roles will be reversed, and you will stand before me. What a statement. Herod, you'll stand before me. Pilate, you'll stand before me. All you Sanhedrin, powerful men, will stand before me. And you'll have to answer to me. Romans 3 says that every mouth will be shut. That in that moment, everybody who stands before Jesus will be silent. Not because they're innocent, but because they have no defense for how guilty they are. Justice will be served. You may call me a liar now, but you will bow the knee and call me Lord then. That's the same thing for the world now. They may look at Jesus and call him a liar and say he's not the Christ. He's not the son of the living God. You can say whatever you want to then, now. But then, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is a clear, and I've got to move on, unmistakable confession of Jesus. That yes, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the only true testimony that they heard the entire night. This is the only true testimony we hear today. It's all we need. Out of the mouth of Jesus himself, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have here the evidence that Jesus is the only innocent man who ever lived. That's the life that he lived. The words that he said, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's all the evidence. It's laid out before us. And you know what time it is now? You have the witnesses. You have the questioning. And now we come to point number three, which is the... The verdict. Look what they say. Let's move on. Verse 65. We have the verdict of the trial. (laughs) Can you imagine their faces when Jesus said that? Almost like we we didn't want him to talk now. Look what he says. Verse 65. Then the high priest. (laughs) Here's the reaction. This is dramatic reaction. This only takes place when something outrageous is said. That he just takes, I don't know how that works. I tried to, to find a video this week of somebody renting their clothes. 
He basically just started ripping his clothes off. Ripping them. I mean, this is a high priest wearing, wearing nice things and he just rips it to pieces. This is a, a dramatic action. Maybe even over the top. I can't believe what I just heard. And he says, here's your crime, boys. And it may be the worst crime that anyone has ever committed that you can commit. Blasphemy against God. The high priest ran his clothes and said, okay, he's spoken blasphemy. You say, what's blasphemy? <laughs> I got caught off guard this week. I got home. Steph looked at me and she said, Christian's been studying something this week in school. And he wants to know, he, I, I, he wants to ask you a question. And I said, what subject? <laughs> if it's math, I'm out. If it's science, no. History, I'm out. <laughs> you know, just, just, she said, it's Bible. <laughs> Yeah, Christian, come in here. <laughs> Sit beside Dad. What's your question, son? Dad, what's blasphemy? <laughs> this is before the sermon. This is before I even got here. Steph looked at me. Answering. <laughs> and my, my answer to Christian was, it's something really, 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 really bad that you don't want to do. I didn't want to tell him. I don't know how. I didn't have a good definition for him. He said, okay, it's really bad. I said, okay. Well, how do you commit blasphemy, Dad? I knew I was caught. <laughs> I said, I'll get back to you. And then I, that was like Monday. And I come to this passage and it's blasphemy. The whole church is going to be asking me, what's blasphemy? And the definition that you get is a deviant reviling of God. The worst sin imaginable. That if you committed blasphemy in the Old Testament, it was punishable by death. That's what blasphemy is. Saying something just reviling against God. Even taking His name in vain. And listen, that's, that's the crime He charges Him with. And I'll tell you this, if Jesus isn't God, then He is a blasphemer. If He's telling a lie here, or He's a lunatic and thinks He is and He isn't, then he's a blasphemer. But if Jesus is God, he's not a blasphemer. There's no room for those nice words that people say. There's no room for those, he's a good, even, even Muslims think that Jesus is a prophet. Good guy. Everybody says nice things about Jesus. We're celebrating at Easter. People come into church, ask them who Jesus is. Oh, he's a good religious leader. Oh, he's a moral example. He's, a, he's, a, he's somebody that you can listen to with wisdom and, and words. Good guy. That's not an option. If he's God, you bow a knee. If he's not, he's a blasphemer and he deserves death. It's one or the other. He's either God or he's not. So he says he's a blasphemer. You see that? Blasphemy. So we have no further need of witnesses, he says. We don't need anybody else to come in. We've heard his own words, and his words were blasphemous. And because of that, I say as the high priest, this man deserves death. We found our crime. And then he says, what do you all say? <laughs> 71 people standing there. We need a vote now. Let me tell you how they'd vote. I've got 15 minutes. You guys might not care, but here's how they'd vote. They'd find a crime. They'd say, okay, we're going to vote. 
and they'd take a whole day in order to, to make a decision. You never make a decision like that in a moment. So they'd take a whole day. And, and the rule was, all 71 of them had to fast and to pray on their decision. They had to really think about it. They had to give everything that they had to make sure that they're making the right decision. And then they'd get there the next day and they'd vote one at a time. you got to vote, you got to vote, and they'd go youngest to oldest. So that the, if it's the oldest first, the youngest would, be, would agree with the oldest and follow, follow court. But that's not what they do. Look what they do. This is not a court session. This is a, a mob. So you've heard the blasphemy, verse 66. So what do you all think? And they answered and said, every one of them. Out loud at the same time. Not a call to vote, you, 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 you. But a mob vote. What do you all say? All in favor? <laughs> say amen. So the high priest said, hey, everybody, vote. And the answer was, Guilty of death. That's the verdict. He is guilty of death, verse 66. He deserves death. This is guilty. They call him a liar. They call him a blasphemer. They say he deserves death. With all the evidence saying that he is exactly who he says he is, these blind eyes and dull ears, every single one of them say no. And they say Jesus is guilty of death. And then it gets worse. It goes from a guilty verdict to a, an ugly verdict. Look what it says. After that, verse 67, they all take turns and they spit in his face. Which is was then, and I think it is now, the worst insult that anybody could ever give you. Take and spit in someone's face. And then they stand and they punch him. That's what that is. They buffeted him. And then they slapped him with the palm of their hands. So they're, they're punching and, and they're, they're slapping and they're blindfolding him. Verse 68. Put a blindfold on him and they say, if you're the Christ, tell us who hit you. Blindfolding him and then punching him in the face and saying, which one of the 71 of the most religious people in the world at that time just hit you? Tell us. This is making fun of him. This is brutal treatment. All this pent up hatred that they've had for him for three years is now coming out and it's all aimed at Jesus as they all just line up and spit and hit and slap and mock Jesus. Does that sound like justice to you? Does that sound fair to you? This shows us man's depraved heart. This is as low as it gets. How far will sin take us? To this point where you have the unimaginable crime of all crimes. That they spit in the face of their Creator. That they mock their Creator. That they mock the light of heaven. That they mock the, the joy of angels. That they mock the Father's glory. They should have every single one of them bowed a knee. That place should have had 71 men fall on their faces and worship at his feet. But instead, 71 men rose up against him with their fists and spit in his face. And people still do this every day. People do this in churches. I don't know if you realize that, but every time the gospel is presented and they say, no, this is a slap in the face of Almighty God. 
When you see the beauty of the face of Christ and His, His humility and His sacrifice and what He did for you on the cross, and you say no to that in light of all the evidence, you might as well be spitting in His face. Hebrews says that you trample the very blood of Jesus Christ. To see the evidence, to taste the goodness, and to, to not bow the knee, and to not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're trampling on Christ. If it's not Lord and bowing the knee, then it's nothing but mockery. Don't give me the niceties that the world gives him. He deserves more than the niceties. He deserves every single one of us to bow our knee and call him Lord. It not only shows how far sin will go, but it shows how great our Savior is. And I keep saying that. In the midst of the darkest time in the history of the world, when soon the lights of, of the, the sky will go out, Jesus always shines the brightest. Look at this. Jesus stood there and took it. Have you thought about that? He took the spit. How many men spit in his face? How many men slapped him and punched him and made fun of him? And he opened not his mouth. Didn't say a word. Just sit there and took it. And I'm glad he took it. This pure, innocent, righteous Savior is treated like a sinner. This innocent man is treated like he's guilty. Charles Spurgeon said, I want to kiss his feet every time I think about them spitting in his face. Because he took what I deserve. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He who did nothing wrong stands and is judged and charged guilty in the place of those who are guilty. He stood there and took spit that should have went on my face. He stood there and took punches that should have fell on my face. Slaps on me, mocking me. It should have been me standing judgment before man. But Jesus is becoming in that moment my substitute, the Lamb of God, coming to take away the sin of the world. I believe in that moment, as they are crying guilty, that He is beginning... To drink the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. This is the moment that he begins to sip. This is the moment that he dreaded in the garden when he was praying. He is becoming sin for us. He is becoming guilty for us. And he's drinking just a sip at a time. The wrath of Almighty God that should have fell on me. The curses that should have fell upon me. He's taking my sin. He's taking my, my guilt. And I'm glad that He stood there as a sinless Savior and began to take my judgment and my punishment. Jesus here stood in earthly judgment so that we don't have to stand one day in heavenly judgment. I'm glad He took it. So at the end of verse 68... They've made their decision. And now it's time for us to make ours. We've seen the evidence. I think you have. I hope you have. I told Brandon, he said, how's, how's the sermon looking today? I said, I think there's two main points here that we have to get. And I think it's the evidence in order for us to make a verdict that you have to look at. Was he an innocent man? 
And he was. All the evidence points to he is innocent. If they could find anything on him then and throughout all of history, we wouldn't know about it. Nobody's found anything at all sinful about Jesus. He's the innocent Savior. That's evidence. And then out of his own mouth, he said, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. You better believe I am. They took that evidence and said he's guilty. He's a liar. and He's a lunatic. He deserves death. We take that evidence, which I think is overwhelming. The testimony that I think is clear, and we now must decide, who do you, sitting in the pews today, say Jesus is? You must decide. Is He who He said He was? I'm just going to give you two choices. Is He who He said He is? The Christ, the Son of the living God? Lord? Or is He not? If He's not who He said He is, and that's what you say, then don't you dare say anything nice about him. Don't you dare. I mean, this may sound bad of me to say, but if you don't think he's Lord, and you don't think he's, he is who he said he is, then you need to go home, and you need to stop calling yourself a Christian. Don't show up at church. Don't come at Easter. Don't you dare. But if he's Lord, then everybody in this room needs to bow their knee yes. and confess him as Lord. What do you say bow the knee means? I submit to Him my, my life and my entire eternity. He is my God and He is my Savior. Yes. And I commit myself to Him. That's bowing the knee. That's crying, Lord. So which one do you say? A lot of people say Lord and live like He's a liar. Every single one of us must line our lives up with He is Lord. One day you can do that voluntarily now and say he's Lord and bow the knee or you will every single one of you have to bow the knee. I'm going to read a passage and I'm going to close. Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. It's a great passage. Verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, fully and truly divine, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Which means he didn't hold on to his glory. But he made himself of no reputation. Made himself nothing. Emptied himself. And took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think the answer today is very, very obvious. I think there's only one answer. I know there's only one answer. Jesus is Lord. And I hope every one of you today will confess that with me. There's an old song that says, Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray today that every one of you, as we're going to pray in just a second, will say, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can say Jesus is Lord. So I want to pray. And you've got to make the verdict for yourself sitting in there. Sitting, you're the jury. 
Who do you say Jesus is? For me, I confess before you and before anybody who will listen that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that you'll say the same. Let's pray together. Father, the evidence is as clear as it could possibly be. You'd have to be blind and deaf and dumb to not see that your Son is Lord. And there's so many out there who don't want to see the truth. They just don't want to see it. Because they want to go on living their life like they are Lord. But God, we submit ourselves to you. And I will, I will admit and confess here today that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that there's, if there's anybody in here who's never made that confession. That today would be the day that in their heart of hearts right now they would say, Jesus, you are my Lord. That they'd bow the knee. I pray that each and every individual would bow the knee today in this room. I pray the people that will watch this later on will bow the knee that Jesus is Lord. I pray that our church would be a church that says we are under the, the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we are under submission to Him and we only do what He tells us to do. And God, I pray that now before it's too late that our nation would even bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. Instead of throwing up their fist in rebellion against Him and committing blasphemy. Father, we cry today, confess today that Jesus is our Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.